0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at FaithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message.
1: Amen. Yeah, go ahead and put your hands together. I love that. That... uh, on a week, spring break, college students, you know, I mean, the culture kind of says what you're supposed to do on spring break. I love that we have over 100 college students to go counterculture and go, instead of going and partying and all that, we're going we're to make an impact on our world for Jesus and an impact on our city. Amen. And uh, we've already got teams going out as well, uh, inviting people for Easter weekend, which you've heard us talk about. There's invites out there and also a way to join and be a part of all of those different outreaches. So I encourage you to do that uh, with that big weekend coming up. It's going to be Pretty, pretty fabulous. Uh, if I if I could, as we like to do, I want to uh, say a big welcome and a big thank you to uh, Michigan Street Redbug Lake campuses here at Curry Ford. Come on, we just joined together as a family of God and and excited that uh, we're, we're getting to be a part of this service together. Maybe you're joining us on a screen somewhere else. Um, we're so glad that you are leading into this service and what God is going to speak to you. And if you are ever in the area or you're close enough, I encourage you, we look forward to seeing you in person because I think most of the people at one of the campuses would say it's even better when you're here with the family of God. Come on, somebody. All right. See there was 12 of us that agreed that it was better and no, I'm just kidding it's all good. <laughs> if you have a copy of God's word, you can go to uh 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 7, easy for me to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, let me also just mention one more thing uh, that was uh, said there a few moments ago in the news, but uh, Encounter Day is coming up, uh, not this coming Saturday, but next. So it's 13 days away. This is why I mentioned it, is because it's different than it's ever been. So if you've gone before, you should come to this one because I promise it'll be different than whatever we've done before. And then also, if you've never been to one, this is the perfect one to come to because we've never done one like this before, um, and so it's across all of the ages and demographics, and there'll be some split sessions with demographic-wise and age and those kinds of things like there had been, and there'll be some sessions where it'll be multiple different groups together, um, but I, man, I'm, the reason why this got birth is because we just started dreaming about instead of having one person from the home have this radical encounter with God, what if everybody in the whole home had this, this life-changing impact with God uh, that, that would change the whole home in one day. And so that's kind of where we, that's where we came from. Uh, that's how that got birthed. And so we're excited about that. And that's just 13 days away. You can go on and get uh, registered online for that event. It's going to be awesome. Second Corinthians chapter seven, we'll start there. And then we'll spend some time in first Corinthians chapter six. We've been in this series called what kind of church is that? When you invite people to church and that question may come back at you. Um, if no one's asked you that question in a while, then invite more people to church because it'll come. You should come to my church. Maybe on Easter, you should come to my church because a lot of people will go to church on Easter that maybe won't go normally throughout the year. They may pose the question back at you. What, what kind of church is that? And we've been kind of setting that tone and re, reclarifying our culture. Um, around here, and we continue that today. There's only only a couple more weeks left of this collection, then we'll, we'll, we'll do some other things. But Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one, will answer our question this weekend as to what kind of church is that. It says therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. What kind of church are we? We are a holy church. (laughs) That's what I expected. Y'all are playing right into my hands. Some of y'all are going, I remember a couple couple weeks back, it was an imperfect church. I like that better than holy church. I I thought you might. Amen. Uh, But we have a biblical mandate here. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. To purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body, spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. We're called to be a holy church and we're going to talk about that today. Pray with me if you would. Matter of fact, let's do this. Put your hand over your heart. Because we're going to pray that the truth of God's word shines on every single area of our heart. Even little areas we've kind of kept back to ourselves. Maybe some behaviors we've kind of kept from God. If you would, just put your hand over your heart and pray with me that our hearts would be open. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word, and it is, it is always more than enough. And I thank you that today your word would shine light into our lives. And we, your church, Lord, we say, let our hearts be tender to the word of God. Let our hearts be open to the word of God. Spirit of God, speak to us today, and it's all yours. We've sang about surrender, now we're gonna live a surrendered life and allow you, we surrender it all to you. We allow you to speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Well, um, as I was reading that verse today about um, purifying ourselves from everything that contaminates, I was remembering back a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe even a couple of months ago now, but we went to a, uh, a lunch with a lot of the pastors. We'd had a meeting with a lot of the pastors and then we all went to lunch together. And uh, I don't remember, I mean, quite a few of us. And we went to a restaurant not too far from here. And I won't mention the name of the restaurant because of the nature of this story. Uh, it's a restaurant I like. I've been back to the restaurant since then. So I hold, I hold nothing against it, but let me tell you what happened that day at our lunch. So we're sitting there eating lunch and uh, uh, just talking and doing normal stuff. And the server comes through and I think maybe I initiated it, but my my Diet Coke had gone low uh, there in my cup. And so I say, could I get another Diet Coke? And so he grabbed my cup and then someone else goes, oh yeah, me too. So then he grabbed their cup and then he started looking around and you need one and you need one. And they, they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. There ended up being like four or five of us that were all drinking Diet Coke and who were all on empty. And so he just collected all the cups and he had them there in a little happy bundle. And off he went back to the dispenser with our bundle of cups. And maybe I shouldn't have in hindsight, but I, I brought it up to the people there sitting with us. I said, that's interesting. I wonder like if he's gonna bring back new cups with new straws or like, cause there's no way he's keeping those separate right now. Like it was just a happy bundle, you know? So then some of the guys started getting a little nervous about it, whatever, and we were just talking. We just kept waiting for him to come back, seeing what he was going to come back with. And here he comes back on it with a tray with uh, all five Diet Cokes with straws already in them, the same straws that he took away. And he just starts passing them out randomly. And uh, I, you know, mine came, and I'm not like a germaphobe, so I kind of more thought it was funny. I just was kind of like, that's funny. You know, this is interesting. But uh, some of the pastors were not having it, you know? Like, they were like... So one of them spoke up and said, uh, so, that was probably about the last cup to go down. One pastor spoke up and said, um, so, how did you keep these separate? And the guy goes, oh. (laughs) When your server says, oh... So he goes, he goes oh, uh, so do you guys want new straws? <laughs> so, um, so the guys are like, yes, yeah, so we want new straws. So he passed out new straws. I was kind of laughing. Uh, the guy walks away. And then one of the other, a different pastor said, guys, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not gonna drink another drop of this Diet Coke the rest of the day. And so I sat there like fully, whatever. I, I didn't care because I'm a man of faith. You know, I don't, I'm not worried about a little germ. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But um, the thing about it is, there they were with that, with that cup, and, and I could have said, hey, it's, it's probably mostly Diet Coke in that cup. Like, it's probably 99% Diet Coke. I mean, it's probably just 1% of whoever's saliva that was, like... <laughs> And it's funny how we are, right? When it's something like that, that 1%, like we're like, no, 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 if it's contaminated by 1%, I don't, I don't know about that. But then sometimes with like other areas of our spiritual life, we're not quite so careful about the 1%. It's, it's funny how... And the word, the word pure... There is actually no such thing as if I said, hey, it's 99% pure. There's actually, that's not even a real thing because the word pure literally means unmixed. Like not mixed with anything. Maybe it's Ivory Soap's fault as to why we think that you can be like 99% pure. I don't know if these old school people in the room that remember Ivory Soap used to do like commercial campaigns and they said their soap was 99.44% pure soap. And everybody's like, well, that's the soap I want then. It's like there's nothing else in there. Almost it's all soap. And they, were, they would compare other soaps and be like, this soap is only 98% soap, but ours is 99.4. And maybe that's got us into thinking that you can be like mostly pure or somewhat pure. But, um, but the, what, what Paul writes to the Corinthian church there is, no, you've got to purify yourself of all, mm, of all contamination. And he even use these words, perfecting holiness. Again, we don't, we don't like that as much. That's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, this thought of, and, and holiness gets a bad rap. And, and maybe some people in years past have, have swung the pendulum the wrong direction and made holiness about legalism. And so what we've done is go, well, that was wrong because they said everything in the world was sin. Like you couldn't do anything back then. But what we've done is we've swung the pendulum the other way. And we go, well, at least I'm 51% pure. At least I'm 70% pure. But yet, if I offered you a cup of 60% pure water, nobody would have anything to do with it. Well, we're gonna spend some moments here in 1 Corinthians chapter six. This is really probably our teaching text, considered our teaching text today, verse nine through 13. Paul's still writing this same group of Christians in um, Corinth. And this is what he says. Verses uh, nine through 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter six. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people or are drunkards or abusives or cheat people, he says none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. You say, but I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality because our bodies were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. Listen, though we admitted a few weeks ago that we are an imperfect church and that we've got to have grace for everyone's imperfections, though we mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, I knew this week was coming. Because I was even said then, if you remember, in, those week, in that week that we preached on an imperfect church, I said, though we are an imperfect church because we've we got some imperfect people, that does not take away the mandate, the scriptural mandate for us to aim for holiness. Yes. perfect holiness. So that is our aim. And as we aim for holiness, as we aim for purity in our lives, we're going to live out a few things that I'd like to bring out of this passage in 1 Corinthians 6. As we perfect holiness, one of the things we're going to live out, and if you're taking notes, you could write this down, we're going to live out the commitment to character. We will be Christians who who protect their character, who are committed to their character. Now I'm gonna read verses nine and 10 again. And this time I want you to watch for the repetition. Because Paul says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists, uh, he says, don't fool yourselves. And he lists a list of sins. He doesn't list every sin. Maybe he lists the top ones that were going on there in Corinth. But he says people indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, committing adultery, homosexuality, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheaters. And then he says it again, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. He says that twice for emphasis, that there is a lifestyle, that there is a behavior point that disqualifies us from heaven. And in the midst of that, he says these words, don't fool yourselves. Now, one of, our, one of our campus pastors, Pastor Jason at our Red Bug Lake campus, he is quite an illusionist. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not black magic, okay? It's gospel illusion, all right? It's good stuff, amen. But he's really good. And I asked him to do a little trick on video uh, and, uh, and uh, I want you just to check this out. Okay, watch Pastor Jason from our Red Bug Lake campus right here, watch this. <clears throat>
0: Every illusionist has the famous three cups and three ball routine, but I like to make mine a little simpler. I like to use one cup and one ball. So here's what you do. Take a cup, take a ball, and you make it disappear. And it ends up right here, underneath the cup. Here, I'll do it again for you, just so in case you weren't watching closely. Take the ball, make it disappear. It ends up right here, underneath the cup. Amazing, I know. Here we go, watch, I'll make it a little harder. I'll place it clearly inside the pocket. Make it reappear right here, just like this, underneath the ball Take this one last time. You know, sometimes people think I use more than one ball though, and they're kind of right. The other ball is kind of obvious. Here, look, I'll let you see it right here. It actually is a tennis ball. And you know, here's one of the reasons why I don't like this routine that much, because it never made a lot of sense. Cups and balls, they don't go together. But I do remember one time when I was a kid, I did take a ball and I dropped it inside of a cup. And come here, check this out. I actually got something pretty cool. I actually got some pets. Wow.
1: I I don't know. I was impressed. Apparently, some of you are like, oh, I mean, whatever. I see how I did it. No, like, I was impressed with that. Uh, I like, and I, here's the thing. I kind of, I know a little bit, like, it's, he's not... I mean, he's not using like magic. It's not some spiritual thing that's going on. It is sleight of hand. He's, he's, what he's doing is he's fooling us. Like he fooled you into thinking that those balls just kept appearing on their own. It's, he's fooling you. And you know what? I don't fault you for being fooled by him. Cause I was fooled by that. And I kind of know a little bit of how he does some of his stuff, but I was fooled by that. And I don't fault you for being fooled by him being fooled by other people. And that Paul is talking to the church of Corinth and he says, there are behaviors that will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be fooled by others. No, he's talking to people in the church that were fooling themselves. It's one thing to be fooled by somebody else. It's another thing to fool myself, to trick myself into thinking that things that were clearly prohibited in scripture are just carelessly overlooked in my life. That's what that's called fooling yourself, fooling myself into thinking that I can have some of these. I can live a lifestyle that's listed in even in this list that Paul gives, that I can have that as part of my lifestyle, part of my deliberate life. And yet I can fool myself into thinking that it won't be counted against me. Here's what we do when we're looking at other people's sins. I've noticed something about us when we're looking at other people's sins. We're great judges. I mean, we can just, we can make all kinds of judgments on everybody else's sin. And when we're looking at our own sin, we're great attorneys, right? I mean, we can talk ourselves out of being punished for almost anything because, well, you don't understand my situation and you don't understand because God knows my heart. Yes, he does know your heart, which is a problem. Because the book of Isaiah says the heart is deceitful beyond all ways, so God knows that your heart will fool your brain into thinking that you've got some sort of side deal with God. And Paul says it twice, those who live this way, those who do wrong, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. And we can maybe look at it and go, well, yeah, but Paul was writing, that was you know thousands of years ago, and things have changed, things are so much different now. Actually, when Paul was writing, Uh, to that church in Corinth. Corinth at that time, it was a very, very sinful, very loose culture, very permissive society of philosophy, really similar to what we live under now, which is this idea that just if it feels good and if you just want to do it and sex is just natural, so you just do whatever you want. This is the culture that they were living under. This is the, uh, you know, a a lot of similarities to to then and, and to now. Most of the emperors, actually 14 of the 15 uh, first Roman emperors were homosexual or bisexual at the time actually that Paul writes this letter, Nero's getting ready to get married uh, to a young man. And so even in the midst of of a culture, and that was just one of the sins that he's listing, uh, but even in the midst of this very permissive culture, a very contaminated culture, still Paul says there's no room for compromise. No room for the church to compromise. And I feel like what we have done somewhat, been guilty of as the church, is we've gone, yeah, but look how, look how evil the this, this society I live in. So of course it's going to contaminate me some. And God understands. Paul's instructions were, were, were so plain and so clear that all unrighteousness is sin, And that when that sin is reigning in our life, and he lists a few, obviously, right? Sex outside of the context of biblical marriage. He mentions that, sexual immorality and and adultery and idolatry, he mentions greed. He mentions cheating, which is a form of of lying. Drunkards. he mentions. And as I was reading through those, I, I was thinking back to John chapter eight. And it's a story that some of you have heard before. I, we don't have to go there. I'll just tell you what happens in that story. But uh, uh, they, the, the religious rulers bring to Jesus a woman who had gotten caught in the act of adultery. It's one of the ones that Paul mentioned. So now she's, she's there. She will not inherit the kingdom of heaven living that life. And she gets thrown at Jesus' feet. And they say, teacher, uh, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? They're trying to trap Jesus. And this is the story where, where Jesus goes down and begins to write in the dirt. And then he looks up and he says, okay, whichever of you have no sin, you guys throw the first rock. Whoever doesn't have sin goes down and starts writing some more. We don't know what he wrote. Some people think he was writing their sins. To make it real clear. <laughs> and he looks back up again and they start leaving one after the other. They keep going to the point that he goes, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, well, they're not here. And he goes, neither do I accuse you. And we like that part of the story. And that part of the story gets preached a lot. But part of the story that doesn't get preached a lot is the very last part, the last thing he says to this woman. He says to her, go now. I want you to go and sin no more. Why would Jesus say that? Because if you stay in this lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what if I go to church? Like, what if I worship? What if I lift my hands? What if I show up every Sunday? That's, that's ultimately we're called to be a, a holy church. We're called to be a pure church. There's got to be a commitment to character. Ultimately an encounter with God is going to change our lifestyle, which is where he goes. That's where Paul goes in these next couple of verses in first Corinthians six in verse 11. He says this, some of you were once like that once, like what the list that we read the, the, the adulterer, the, the fornicator, the uh, cheater, the liar. The, he says, some of you were, were once like that. If you have an old school Bible and you want to highlight something or underline something, I like that past tense right there. I like that were. I like that some of you were like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. That's what happens when you call out to Jesus, it It makes you a different person. It gives you a different nature. And then when you call on Jesus, watch this church, when you call on Jesus, you can look at your old life and you can look at your current life and you can see a difference. I like that. When I call on Jesus, someone who knows me well can look at my old life and contrast it with my current life and say, well, boy, something has changed about you. And yes, as we... Try to have holiness in our life, there will be a conviction for contrast. We will want our life to be different. We will want our, our, our sin and uh, the past mistakes and the disobedience, we will want that to be a part of our past, not a part of our present. As I said, I mentioned that, that he says, that's what some of you were. You were once like that. And I like the way the NIV says it. It says, and that is what some of you were. I like the way the New King James says it. And such, what? All these sins and such were some of you, but not anymore. And there has been a, now a change. There has been a a contrast. There has been a, a, you have been made Holy. Now, there is in, in Washington, D.C., there is a hotel called the Jefferson. It's right in the middle of D.C. And you can, you can call there and make a reservation and book and stay a couple nights if you want to. I think it's the last time I looked it up it was about $400 a night or something like that. So, you know, let me know how it goes. I won't be there anytime soon. But <laughs> you can call, you can book a room, you drop your $400, you can stay there. Then... At the Jefferson, you could walk out of that hotel lobby, and it's just probably about a 13 minute walk to another location. Another big building that has a lot of bedrooms in it. And you could walk there with your $400 and say, I'd like to stay a night here in this building that also has a lot of bedrooms. And they're gonna say, no, you can't do that. And you could bring, okay, how about $4,000 a night? And they're gonna say, no, you can't do that. And you can say, what if I have $40,000 for one night in this this building that has a lot of rooms? Can I do that? They're still gonna say no. Now you might hit a price at some point where you can get a night, but I don't think so. Because the address of this other location is an address... That some of you have heard before it's 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue It's the White House. Now, it has a lot of bedrooms just like the Jefferson has. And yet at the Jefferson, I can pay $400 and stay a night. But at this one, I can't pay any price and stay a night. Why? Because this address has been set apart for a higher purpose. It's not just some hotel for somebody to be walking through. No, this is the White House. It's reserved for the president. It's reserved for a higher purpose. It has been set apart. It's not common anymore this is what it means for us when paul says no you have been set apart you have been sanctified you have been justified there is a higher calling on your life now which is why we would never want to go back to common old life common sin common junk that i used to live in why would i why would i try to go back to that why would i defend that When someone would point out the lack of contrast in my life, I'm going to spend my energy talking about, well, you don't understand God's grace. No, I think you don't understand God's grace. Because when we talk about God's grace and when we talk about what this means to to be free, it doesn't mean that I would go back to my old way of life. No, the word of God says we've been justified, which is to be declared in, in right standing with God, that we've been sanctified. Sanctified kind of has, has two meanings. It's that one, it's, it's to be set apart, which is the New Testament word for holy, that's, that's its literal definition is to be set apart. The Old Testament for holy is, the literal definition of that word is no longer profane or common, but sacred. And any, watch this, any teaching that makes the life of sin easy or allowable is not Bible doctrine. And what we will do, the reason why Paul says, hey, don't don't fool yourself about this, there's supposed to be a change. Uh, Second Timothy chapter four talks about it, that a time will come, we're probably living in that now, a time will come when people won't even put up with sound doctrine. Like I knew, like I'll just be honest, like I knew this message was gonna be uh, a little heavier to preach than some of the other ones. Like, I preach move mountains all day long. Everybody's like, oh, yes, move mountains. I preach like, hey, get that junk out of your life. You're like, can we go back to mountains? Can we go back to imperfect? I liked imperfect way better than perfect. I knew that. But for a second, Timothy talks about this. There'll come a time when people won't put up with sound doctrine, and they'll gather around them speakers to say, teachers to teach what their itching ears want to hear. So you can find it. You can find it. You can scroll through social media. It won't take you that long to find somebody teaching you that your lifestyle is just okay with God. And so when Jesus didn't say that much about that particular thing, you'll find it. And it might be what your itching ears want to hear, but it won't be the Bible. It won't be the Bible doctrine. Yeah. Uh, the truth. It won't be the truth. And we just decided a long time ago, we decided a long time ago to be a church that's gonna preach the word, preach the truth. Popular or not Popular. So there's going to be a conviction to contrast. And there's also going to be a a clearing of the conscience. I like verse 12 and 13. Paul throws this uh, phrase at them that was actually a common phrase amongst the Corinthian church. He says, uh, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. Um, it was actually a slogan that they, that they said. I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not be a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. These words, everything is permissible. This is what they did. They did it to kind of justify their lifestyle that did not line up with the truth. that wasn't obedient to the word of God, but they would use that as their slogan to justify their lifestyle, which is why Paul wanted to bring some clarity to it. He wanted to bring uh, some explanation to it. He said, "I I know you guys say this, I know you say that anything goes. I know you say that once you are forgiven, now you are free. And now you're free to do anything that pleases you. Listen, that is a false teaching about the freedom of Christ. We are not free to do what pleases us. I'm free now to please Christ. I did not have the ability to please Christ until he made me holy. And now, now I'm free to live a life that pleases him. This is the false teaching, false Christian view of freedom. The false Christian view says this, I am now been given freedom to sin. And I'm forgiven of it already. I've been given freedom to sin, but I'm just right with God and everything is pure even no matter what I'm doing. It's not a freedom to sin. You have been given a freedom from sin. That you are no longer a slave to that junk anymore. And you have to believe that before you can live it out. And some of us have fooled ourselves into thinking, no, I'm still a slave to it and I guess I always will be. That's a horrible mindset to have. And so how do we... Paul goes to like a different level because he's saying, yeah, even some things you could do, but should you do it? Right. It's, like a, it's like a higher level of the pursuit of holiness. And it's this, is that even things that maybe, maybe we go, you can't prove to me that it's wrong, then maybe the opposite would be, well, can you prove to me that it's right? Can you prove to me that it's best? Sometimes what we do is we go, okay, but what can I get by with and still be a Christian? And, and once you ask that question, you are already in, you're already you sinking. You're already in trouble. It's not what can I get by with, it's what is, what's best. What's best for my life? See, there are things that may not get, that maybe didn't even make Paul's hot 20 list right there. There are things that maybe didn't make his hot 20 list and maybe somebody could go, it's not a sin, but it could lead you to one of those. You've got to, how do we get that discernment? How do we get that sense of what's, what's best? How do we, if we, 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 we want conviction, we want contrast, how do we get that? Well, I wanna do a little science experiment. So someone's gonna come out and help me real quick and, and bring this out. Y'all can, uh, you can do this on your own uh, at home this afternoon uh, as a science experiment, but I think this is going to kind of show us how we can how we can figure this out in our spiritual life. This is called perceptual contrast. And uh I got three bowls of water here and um, this left bowl uh has has ice cubes still in it. I think it's probably about 40 something degrees. Uh this middle bowl is just plain old room temperature. Okay, it's just just environment. And then this one over here is, is hot. Uh, this one's probably a hundred and I don't know, 105 degrees or something like that. I did this in first service. I'm gonna go ahead and put it in. I'm gonna put my right hand in the hot water, my left hand in the cold water. All right. Um, pray for me that nothing happens bad here. All right, here we go. I got the right hand in the, so a couple things come to mind is, uh, after first service, I said the hot water could be a little hotter so it is now. It's hotter. Amen. Uh, it feels like the left. It feels like the cold water's colder too, because before it didn't have ice cubes in it, and now it does. So uh, someone's going to lose their job this week because this is hurting. No, I'm just kidding. So you know, Paul's talking about. Well, you 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 think you think you can do anything. He even uses the phrase, he says, the stomach was made for food and the food was made for stomach. Reason why they would say that is because they said, hey, when my body desires something, when I, have a, when I have my sinful nature desires, that's what I'm created for. And he's going, no, that's not what you're created for. And he said, there's got to be, at some point you've got to start to figure out, you've got to start to have a sense of what's right and wrong in, in your spirit. You know, our consciousness can be seared, the New Testament says but it's the conscience being, being, that's how we can tell. So I got my right hand in the hot water and my left hand in the cold water. And here's what I'm gonna do because I can hardly stand to keep it in the cold water any longer. I'm gonna take out both hands and I'll put them both in the same water. <laughs> and it's even more, it's even more uh, defined than it was in first service. But here's what happened when I put these both, I can, I, I can look down and see that both my hands are in the same water, yet you would, I, would, I would never believe it. If I was blindfolded, I would say my hands were in two different temperatures of water. Here's what happened, is the hand that came out of the cold came into this room temperature water, it still does. It feels, oh, it feels a relief, it feels comfort. But the hand that came out of the hot water, when I put it in the room temperature water, it feels cold, it feels uncomfortable. What am I saying? I'm saying we've got to figure out what lukewarm is supposed to feel in our lives. And when I let my heart get cold to the things of God, When I make this about a ritual, when I make this just about showing up for church sometimes, and I I just show up once or twice a month and I'm doing my duty and I mean, my heart would, are you on fire for God? I wouldn't say I'm on fire for God, but I mean, I'm a Christian because my parents were a Christian. When we let our heart get cold, when we step into the lukewarmness of our culture, guess what? That lukewarmness is gonna be feeling nice. It's gonna be feeling like a, a little blanket. It's gonna be like, oh, this lukewarm culture, this is just, this is apparently what I'm created for. This is apparently what I'm supposed to do. I guess I guess the the food was made for stomach and the stomach was made for I guess I can do anything but when you mm, when you are white hot on fire for Jesus when you decide that I want to not just be around this stuff, but I want Jesus to be, just be the Lord of every area of my life. I want God, I want to be on fire. When you're on fire for God, and then you step in to the environment of a lukewarm culture, it does not feel warm. No, it feels discomfort. It feels cold. It makes you want to go, I can't wait to get back in the hot water again where I'm created to live. We were created for that. And so maybe I would say, like, because I'm not trying to bring anybody under condemnation. I'm not trying to tell anybody, you know, like, like, you should feel a certain way. Here's what I would say is if you are starting as as the word of God starts to eliminate something into the area of your heart and you go, maybe I am feeling conviction about this. Maybe this is a behavior that shouldn't be a part of my life. I mean, things that are listed in scripture, no brainer, but maybe there's some of these other areas where you go, well, I thought I was allowed to do this, but maybe it's not the best. How do I know? This is how you know. Decide to get hot in the presence of God. Make a commitment to getting into the word of God. And as you get into the word of God, and as you get into the presence of God, something happens. Your heart starts to get on fire for God. And when you're on fire for God, the discernment about what's best for your life becomes clear. I'll end with Ephesians chapter five. And it's a passage also taught by Paul. And he is uh, teaching about the family, t- t- teaching about marriage. But in it, he gives some profound truth about the church, about this church. He says in Ephesians five twenty-five through 27, husbands, love your wives just as Christ, just as Christ loved the church, Christ gave himself up for the church. Why? Verse 26, to sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And he did this to present the church to himself as a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. The church that gets presented to Jesus at the end of time is a church that is holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle. And so if I want to be a part of that church, and I do, if you want to be a part of that church and you do, then you have got to have the aiming for holiness as part of your journey. Because that's, that's the church that gets presented to him. And that's the church we are. This this isn't even, this isn't even like an optional thing. It's not even like, oh, this church, we're going to be. No, the church is called to be a holy church. And you are the church. You are the church.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.